Good morning, church. Good morning, church. It's so good to be here with all of you um, this morning. Um, <clears throat> we're going to pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to stand here to speak your word. Oh, Lord, I just pray, God, that your spirit will lead the way throughout and that what you want to accomplish will be done in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, can we rise up? We always do this. I know this is not RG Sunday, but we always do this little thing um, because it really, really, the more that we repeat it, the more we say it, we start believing it, and it starts happening. It starts bearing fruit. Praise the Lord. So let us say it together. This is the word of God. It is God speaking to me. My ears are attentive. My heart is receptive. As I'm taught the word, the seed of life will be planted. It will surely grow deep roots, and it will produce its fruit in me. Hallelujah. We may all see it. Okay. My topic today, it's, it's so beautiful that, you know, from the beginning of this service to this point, um, it's really, really laying the foundation for the topic that I have today. And the, the topic I have today is crucify your flesh. Praise the Lord. Crucify your flesh. Okay. So I don't know if any, um, anyone recognized that throughout this year, God has been emphasizing a lot of things to us. From the beginning of the year, um, our pastor started off with, let us study, study to show yourself approved, right? And then the different messages that we have been hearing has been teaching us about the salvation that we have received, knowing who we are and the relationship we have with God, being obedient children, having intimacy with God, having the knowledge of God, and then our pastor did a series on the weapons of our warfare because as children of God, we need to know how to fight the enemy because we have a very real enemy. And then he also taught us on faith. Then God started repeating it again. Um, he taught us, here comes the bride, which is the importance of relationship with Jesus. Christianity is not just by mouth. There's a relationship attached, right? And obedience to God and having faith in God, in Jesus. Then Anu followed it up with the school of the spirit, which we know that we all have to attend. If you're a Christian, you have to attend the school of the spirit. And then our pastor Kemi last week taught us gratitude because you can't be a Christian without having gratitude. Because in the Bible it says rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say what? Rejoice. So you have to be grateful in all circumstances. the will of God for us. Right? So today God wants to reemphasize some of the things that we have been teaching up here throughout the year. This sermon will speak on Christians living a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Living a life that is worthy of the calling that you have received. And to do that, God is calling us to put off things that will make it difficult for us to live a life that is worthy. To focus on this new life that we have received. For us not to be double-minded, one day we are in Christ, we are living in Christ, the other day we, are, we have a foot in the world. For us to kill the flesh. And to do all of that, we have to continually fix our eyes where it matters, and that's on Jesus. So at the end of it all, when we come before God, what God will say to us is, well done, my good and faithful servant. We want to hear that from God. So at the end of everything, what we want to hear from God is what? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Meaning that you have lived well on earth. You have fulfilled your assignment. Okay. 
So what is Jesus's goal in all of this? We talked, you know, about like what we have been learning throughout the, uh, throughout the year. But there's one goal that Jesus has, and it's to present us a bride without blemish before himself, the lamb. A lamb without, um, a bride without spot or wrinkle, right? And for him to do that, it takes a process. And the Bible talks about that process. This is a scripture that, you know, we, we learned during family month. If we can go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to 32. It talks about the role of the husband and the role of the wife. But it also illustrates our relationship with Jesus, the church's relationship with Jesus. And that's the most important thing that God wants you to get out of it. Right? And it says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husband as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife. I, I really need everybody to follow me because it will require everybody to, to be on board. We're going on this journey, right? It says, for wives, this means submit to your husband as to who? The Lord. For husband, for the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the what? The church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Okay, God is showing us an illustration here. And really, for married folks, I, I think that because you're already living in it, you have a better understanding of this relationship we have with Christ, right? You should have a better understanding of the church's relationship with Christ. It starts off, it gives the husband a command, right? It says, husbands, Love your wives as who? As Christ. Love the church. But at the very beginning, it starts out with submit to one another as unto the Lord. So both of you know that your role is to submit to God, which is it's telling the church your role is to submit to God. And then for the wives, it gives them a command. Submit to your husband in everything. So when the husband and the wife are looking at each other, they are seeing a picture of the church and Jesus. The husband is looking at the wife and seeing how he is to be in the body of Christ. The wife is looking at the husband and seeing how Christ is unto her, Lord, over everything. And then both of them see a fuller picture because you're seeing both roles and you're seeing a fuller illustration of what God is showing about this relationship that Jesus has with his church. It says he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washing by the cleansing of God's word. See, that's what Jesus is doing. He's continually washing us by the word that he's speaking over us. In that time that we're spending with God, the Holy Spirit keeps revealing to us Jesus, renewing our mind. It says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the very next verse... Verse 27, it says, he did this to present her, Jesus did this to present her, the church, to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be what? Holy and without fault. So the husband has a heavy task, right? You present your wife to yourself. She's part of your body as we, the church, are part of Jesus' what? Body. We make up Jesus' body. He's the head. Okay. Do you know we cannot be presented as a glorious church if we are not submitted to him? There's no way that he can present us a glorious church if we do not submit ourselves to him. Because in that verse, it says submit to, well, it's talking to the wife, submit to your husband in everything, illustrating for church, the church, you must submit to Jesus in everything. 
every aspect of your life. He presented her without blemish as he washed her with his word. Romans 12.2, let me read it again. It says, you are transformed into a new person without blemish when you allow God to change the way you think. He can only do this by his word. Then when this transformation happens, you will learn to know God's will. I really love, see, I told you from Sunday school, from the beginning of service too, that's what we read today during the pep talk, renewing our mind, learning to know God's will, his good and perfect will. Because the will of God is the first step towards obedience. The knowledge of the will of God is the first step towards obedience to him. 28, verse 28, it says, in, this, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of Christ's body. As the scriptures say, say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. We now understand the goal of Jesus. What is the goal of Jesus? What is his goal? To present us to who? Himself, without spot or wrinkle, blameless before him. So for us, to live in this reality or understand or go through that process of being presented, it requires one thing. We have to what? Die to self. We must all die to self. Today we're going to talk about why is it important? Why do we need to crucify our flesh? How do we crucify our flesh and the benefits of crucifying our flesh? So let's, let's hit on the, the first point. You know, why do we need to crucify our f flesh? When I say crucify your flesh, I'm saying your will, your wants, your emotions, and the deeds of your flesh. Your will, your wants, your emotions, and the deeds of your flesh. Because these things pose a challenge to what God is doing. They pose a challenge to the goal of Jesus. And Jesus cannot do anything where these things are very alive in you. It's not that we don't have wants and emotions and everything, but what I'm saying you have to die to yourself. You have to recognize that you have to submit that to his leadership. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, it says, there, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk According to what? Your flesh. So that means that there is condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk after the flesh and not the spirit. Are we reading that? Are we seeing it in that? You're not seeing it? It says, who do not walk according to the flesh. So if you are in Christ Jesus and you're walking after the flesh, there is condemnation. So we have to get that into our hearts because Jesus' goal is to present us, what? Holy, blameless, without spot or wrinkle before him. So if this is posing a problem, then we have to deal with it, right? And we'll talk about what it means to deal with it. 
For those who are asking, what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 to, uh, to 14 tells us, it says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. It says you trusted him. You heard the word of truth when you, um, you trusted him after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And then you believed him and the work that he has done. You believed in Jesus. And then God deposited his Holy Spirit as a seal over you of the promise. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Remember, we're talking about why do we need to crucify the flesh? It says, since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life. For we what? Died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. It started off saying that you were raised to a new life. A lot of times when we're living, we're not living in consciousness of the new life that we have. We're living in the consciousness of the sinful nature. And God is reminding us here, why do you need to crucify your flesh? Is that you died. It's no longer you that is living, it's Christ that is living in you. You have a new life, and that's the life of God. And he's telling us we need to be aware of this because the enemy is taking advantage of us because we're not aware. We don't know what we have. We're depending on our emotions. If we feel good today, then, oh, yeah, everything is good. If we feel bad tomorrow, then, ah, I don't know where I stand. See? Emotions pose a challenge to what God is doing. Your wants pose a challenge to what God is doing. Your will pose a challenge to what God is doing. And he says we have to recognize that we have died and we have been raised to a new life. We need to crucify the flesh because in crucifying it, we've nullified the effect of sin in our lives. A dead man does not react. See, for example, right? Let's say you have clothes that are torn. They are dirty. They have holes in them. And you see this and you go out and you purchase a new set of clothing. And then when you come home, you put aside the new clothing that you purchased and you go back and you put on the old ones that have holes. Does that make any sense? No, it doesn't. Right? People will ask, are you okay? Do we need to, you know, call a town meeting for you to counsel you? <laughs> right? The rightful thing to do is to throw away the old one. And then you put on the new one. Because that one is not dirty, it doesn't have holes, it's not torn. That's the same thing that God is asking us to do. It says, this old life, this old nature is dirty. It has holes. It's not good for wearing. Throw it away. Throw it off. Here's the new set of clothes I've purchased for you. Put it on. Put on the new life. We need to crucify our flesh because we need to get to a place of total yieldedness to God and his will. I'm assuming that every Christian here wants to do the will of God. Right? That's what I'm assuming. I hope it is true, right? But we need to get to a place of total yieldedness to God and his will. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 to 9 says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. Watch the word. I said we are going on a journey, right? So we all have to follow. The sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws. And it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. And we know without faith, it's impossible to do it. So that means that the sinful nature is, is a challenge to faith. You can't have faith without nature. You can't have faith with the sinful nature. It's impossible. You can't please God in that nature. 
So when we talk about the sinful nature, we're also talking about carnality, right? Seeing the carnal flesh. I was, I was watching a video, actually multiple videos, and this is like people who are rescued from the kingdom of darkness. They were very operational in there. Um, and then they came to the kingdom of God, and they were saying that it is only the children of God who don't recognize the authority that they have in the spirit. They live in this world like this is it. This is the realness of everything. They succumb to the things of this world. But the people of darkness actually are very, very knowledgeable, more than the children of God in a lot of cases. And that shouldn't be so. Because we have to recognize we're spirit beings. We're dealing with God who's a spirit. Right? And everything in the spirit is very, very real and yields what we see physically. So if we don't understand that, we'll just live in our carnal, carnal self, carnal-mindedness. Everything we're doing is just carnality. And God is asking, are these the people I saved? Are these the people I rescued? And in verse 9, it says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. If you don't have the spirit of God in you, you don't belong to Christ. I'm sorry to say it, but you can come over to this side where we are fellowshipping with God by giving your life to Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 to 11 says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world but now everybody say but now but now is the time to get rid of anger of rage of malicious behavior of slander of dirty language it says don't lie to each other for you have stripped off your old nature and all its wicked deeds put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. All that matters is Christ. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. It tells us to get rid, throw off the old, put on your new nature, the new life that has been given to you. You already have it. It's just for you to put it on. You already have these things. We don't have to walk in the sinful nature anymore. Jesus already defeated the, you know, the power of sin. He defeated all of that stuff, and he said, throw off the things that are holding you back, the weight that pulls you back. Put on your new nature. We need to crucify our flesh because Christ is all that matters. Remember the scripture that Paul says, it is no longer I that live it, but Christ that liveth in me. This is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. The life I live I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not I. It's not me. It's Jesus that lives. Galatians chapter 5 verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. You belong to Jesus. So that's the reason why you crucify your flesh. You belong to him. You know, sometimes we think that um, <clears throat> there's the enemy's camp and there's God's camp and then there's a middle ground, the gray area. But there's no gray area. It's either you're in the enemy's camp or you're in God's camp. 
And we all belong to somebody. Every single one of us belongs to somebody. It's either you belong to the enemy or you belong to God. But the Bible is telling us that we belong to Jesus. So therefore, we must throw away the old. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 to 17 says this. Let me emphasize this. As you yield to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. When your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit, you hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your self-life from dominating you. So then the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the spirit. So there are two things in conflict. But the reason why, another reason why we need to crucify the flesh is that we can only have one Lord. Unless there will be confusion for us. See, that fight, that struggle, it happens oftentimes. But you really, in reality, you can only have one Lord. It's either something, is, uh, something that is not Christ is dominating you or Christ is dominating you in everything that you do. So there are other reasons why we need to crucify our flesh. And um, I'm, I'm just going to list some of them. One is becoming better witnesses for Christ. Your testimony lasts. Right? It's not just today. People are like, oh, wow, like you change. And then next week is like you change back. And they are not sure what is it, what's going on. You know, it, it, it gives you a lasting testimony because you're going through that process of crucifying your flesh, dying daily to self. And then we bear much fruit. And also we begin to learn how to deal in the spirit, taking authority in the spirit with opened eyes. When our eyes are no longer veiled, we're walking with understanding. You know, that prayer that uh, Paul tells us to, um, he prayed it over the Ephesian church, that our eyes of understanding will be opened. We need to walk with our eyes opened. Because then we'll be able to take authority. We'll be able to know who we are, who Christ is to us. Okay, let's go to the next part. How do we crucify the flesh? There has to be a willingness from your end. God cannot do something for you if you're not willing. He will not violate your will. He's such a perfect gentleman, even though we're saying like, surrender your will, but he can't, he can't violate your will. He can't force you to do anything. So you have to do it willingly. And then as you surrender your will, he turns that into obedience to him, a physical manifestation of your willingness becomes obedience to him. We also must acknowledge the kingship and rulership of God. Many don't have this understanding that if you really want to walk in freedom, you must see yourself under the rulership of the Most High. Sin is more alive in the flesh that is not submissive to God. Yes, that's what gives sin its power. Remember in James chapter 4, verse 8 and 10, it says, submit to God, then you're able to resist the devil, and then he will what? Flee from you. But if you're not submitting to God, you can't resist the devil, and he can't flee from you. So you have to submit yourself to the rulership of God to be able to resist the devil. And one of the ways that God helps us to crucify our flesh is through the renewing of our minds by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we're going to talk a little bit on renewing the mind because it's very helpful in crucifying your flesh. You need it. You need to do this on a daily basis. Renew your mind. Know what God has said about you. And one of those things that he has said about you is that you have been freed. In Romans chapter 8, verse 2 to 4, it says, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit. The power of what? It's the life 
given spirit, meaning that at one point you were dead, but this life-giving spirit revived you and made you alive. And it has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And it says in verse 3, the law of Moses was unable to save us. So you can't try to please God by your good works, by attempting, striving. You'll be frustrated a lot of the time, right? It says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. It says he declared an end to sin's control over us. So these are the things we should be renewing our minds with. Sin can no longer have hold over you. It says he declared an end because it means that at one point sin was ruling. But it's like when uh, recently I was reading about um, Uganda and, um, you know, the, I think, Idi Amin, Amin's uh, regime. And for him to come into power, he usurped the power of the previous president, right? That's literally what God did. He came and did a coup d'etat. <laughs> and then he just usurped the power of sin. And put it aside and say, you can't rule anymore over these people. And he says he declared an end to the um, sin's control over us. And then it says by, by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins, he did this so that the just requirement of the law will be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the spirit. So let's continue to dig in, right? In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died, how can we continue to live in it anymore? It is reminding us again, since you have died. And if you, if you listen to Thursday Bible study, Pastor touched on this, right? It says, since you have died, how can we continue to live in it anymore? Or have we forgotten that we were joined with Christ in baptism. We joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Okay, let's break it down. It's telling us not to forget. Not to forget. My people perish for lack of knowledge. We often forget. And God is telling us, don't forget these things that I've done for you. Keep it before you. Renew your mind with it. It says, have we forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death. So now when we were raised with him in his resurrection, we were raised to a new life, the life of God. So just think of yourself. There's no, I'm going to use for um, Uche, because I'm looking straight at him. There's no bro Uche and his will and his wants. It's just God living in you. The only life that is in you is God's life. So we have to start thinking about ourselves like that. The only life that is in me is God's life. There's no other life. There's no other life in this body but God's life. We have to renew our minds because we have been born of God. Romans chapter 5, verse um, 6, verse 5 to 11, it says, Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life, um, to life as he was. We know, and it says it again, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. We were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this. How can you be sure of something if you're not meditating on it? And constantly pouring over it. You might forget. 
But God is telling us we have to be certain. We know. We are sure of this because we have been renewing our minds with this new we have been renewing our minds with his word about this new nature that we have. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. He was raised once. We were freed once and it's forever. It's for eternity. Death no longer has power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Yes, yes. Okay. I want to jump down to grace. Sometimes when we think about grace, we think it's just... Oh, well, it is unmerited favor. That's what we usually think of it as, unmerited favor, and we have been forgiven and everything. But a portion of grace is that it's empowering. There's power in that grace, right? Why did God tell Paul, my grace is sufficient for you? It's because there's empowerment through the grace of God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17, it says, For the sin of this man, one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin, over death, through this one man, Jesus Christ. We have all received grace. And with grace, we have received the empowerment to live this new life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13 says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important to work hard. It gives us an instruction. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And the next portion tells us, Who's doing the work? Are we reading it? Who's doing the work? It says, for it is God who works in you, both giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He gives us an instruction. It says, show the results of your salvation. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence. But then it tells us, but it is God who's doing the work. It's not you. It's God. It's God who's working through you because Jesus is the one who's presenting us to himself. He's washing us with his word. And that washing of the word is the renewing of your mind. As you renew your mind, you become more and more blameless, holy. Not that we weren't already blameless, but he's, it's, it's like a manifestation of what has already happened. It is God who's working in us, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Remember, we're talking about how do we crucify our flesh. And we said we need to what? Are we following? We, knew, we need to renew our minds. The renewal of the mind is very important. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet, not to, not I, but the grace of God which was with me. It's the grace of God that is allowing you, the empowerment from God himself, that is allowing you to live a life that is pleasing to him. That is allowing you to crucify your flesh, to die daily to self Isaiah chapter 26, verse 12 to 14 says, Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all our works in us. It says you will establish peace in us, for you have done, God, you have done all our works in us. It's not even us doing the work. It's you that have done all the works in us. Oh, Lord, our God, masters beside you, have had dominion over us. Sin have had dominion over us before. 
But by you, only we make mention of your name. They are dead. Sin is dead. It no longer has any effect over us. They will not live. They are deceased. They will not rise. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them. That's what Jesus did, right? And made all their memory to perish. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 to 18, it says, But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the, uh, the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. The Lord who is the Spirit, is the Holy Spirit. So when Anu talked a couple weeks ago about attending the school of the Spirit, that is, allow the Spirit to do the work that is needed in you. Allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that is needed in you. And that is shown by being led. The leadership of the Holy Spirit is important. We have to know how to be led. And to be led, you have to surrender everything. You can't lead yourself if you want to please God. The Holy Spirit has to lead you because for those who are the sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God. Okay. What are the benefits of crucifying the flesh? The benefit is life and peace. There is life for you. And there's peace for you. Romans chapter 8 verse 5 to 6, it says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your minds leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Letting the sinful nature control your mind leads to death and destruction. Because we know it says the sinful nature can never please God. Your flesh can never please God. You will never walk in faith. But it says allowing the spirit of God to control your mind, right, leads to life and peace for us. And then another benefit is that we get better at being led. We begin to hear the Holy Spirit much better and better the more we yield ourselves to him. The more we crucify our, um, our flesh, we nail it to the cross of Jesus, right? We become better at being led and we become obedient children to God. We become unattached to the things of this world as well. And then heavenly realities become much more real to us than the things of this world, right? It says, fix your eyes where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, right? And it says, there is where it all matters. What is happening where Jesus is, is what matters. What is happening here on earth doesn't really matter because God, like, when you submit to God, God will take care of everything that's happening here, you know? But... Our primary focus to be, should be where Jesus is, to be fixated on Jesus. Because I, I think I've used this illustration before. Um, when Jacob was trying to uh, marry, is it, is it Rachel? What, what was his wife's name again? It's Leah and Rachel, right? So when he was trying to marry Rachel because he loved her, um, Laban, his father-in-law, was not really nice to him. He was doing Ojoro, you know. And um, so he gave Jacob these sheep without spot and wrinkle and said, Any, if the sheep produce spot and wrinkle, that, that belongs to Jacob. Um, and what did he do? He put a bark where they were feeding and they were mating, and he put spots on the bark. And as the sheep looked at that thing, they produced offsprings like what they were looking at. So 
It's the same for us. The more that we look at Jesus, the more we bear fruits like him. Right? So we have to fix our eyes on him if we want to live out this new nature that we have, to live out this God life that we have. Okay. And then it also allows us to have a deeper fellowship with God. He becomes unhindered by our flesh. Remember it says um, the self-life hinders the Holy Spirit from operating. But the more we crucify our flesh, the more the Holy Spirit becomes unhindered to do what he wants to do, to make, to do the work of transformation in us. We can't do it on our own. So don't go back home and say, let me try to be holy. Let me stop lying. Let me stop doing this. Let me stop being angry. You can't do it. You get frustrated. But you continue to renew your mind with the word of God. Continue to meditate on it. The things that God said about your new nature, you continue to meditate on it until it sinks down, deep down. And then it starts germinating. Producing new, like the fruit that it's supposed to produce. Okay, I'm going to pause here. We're going to watch a little skit. I hope this skit illustrates what I'm, you know, what I've been talking about. Hi, I'm Jesus. And John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he sent me to die for you. For all of you. Okay. Look at you. I died for them. Okay. I died all of you. I, it's, it's okay. No, but I died for you. Look. They know. They know. It's okay. Ma, 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 I died for you. All of you. How you doing? I'm the Holy Spirit. Hi. I'm a sinner that turned into a Christian. Hi. I'm the power of sin in this skit. Hey, I'm the power of sin in this skit. I am the Lord your God. I command you to walk forward in obedience to me. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Get up, get up, get up, get up out of that grave because he lifts me up. He turns me around. He sets my feet on solid rock. I thank the master. I thank the savior because he healed my heart. He changed my name forever free. I'm not the same. I thank the master. I thank the savior. I thank God. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. For it is God working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. 
actually stand and sing that song together my chains are gone I've been set free my God my Savior has ransomed me and like a flood his mercy Second Corinthians chapter five. We can keep standing. I'm I'm ending right now. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse fourteen to eighteen says, "Either way, Christ's love controls us, since we believe that Christ died for all. We also believe that we have died to our old life. He died for everyone, so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them." So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. It's the work of transformation that God wants to do in all of us. And that starts by renewing your mind about the things that God has already done, right? To this new life, believing that you already have it, believing that you're living the God life, that God already dwells in you, right? There's a word that God gave me for the church as well, and I'm just going to close with that. He said, my people have to live in awareness and consciousness of this new life they have received. That's how they defeat flesh. To live in this consciousness, they have to study and meditate on the word. What is the word? The word related to the defeat of flesh. Where the Lord talks about, talks of this new life you have received. The theme this year is let's study, but some have not been studying. Those who have put time into studying like they are in school will reap the benefits of the study. They will see the results of transformation that comes from studying. You must not stop at just studying. You must meditate so the word can sink down. Some just study for a time, for the test, but forget after the test and can no longer make use of that knowledge. Your study, you study to teach, you study to speak, but you do not study for life. You must switch that around to study for life. That's how you defeat the flesh. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.